Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. On a mixtape just around the corner Did a lot in California Can't wait to drop this on you Yeah, they gon' have fun with that Smash like song and my song's gon' break through like Hello and welcome to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One My name is Mark Hamilton and joining me, as always The one, the only, the man, the myth, the legend Mr. Mark Daly, my friend The forecast says it's gonna be hot this weekend Is (laughs) spring finally here in Vancouver, British Columbia? Well, it seems like uh, winter skipped over spring and went straight on into summer, but <laughs> that's good, man. I mean, it's been, it's been cool and wet and miserable, even longer than than usual here. This is like the the. I mean, we've had literally a couple of nice days ever since the start of spring, and it feels like instead of spreading it out over the past month and a half, it's like all of a sudden going to throw us all at you know at one time here over the next couple of days. But I'm good for it. I'm ready for it. It's you know I, I love summer. I love spring. I love fall. I love winter. You know, I just kind of like all four seasons. But I, you know, I was driving around today. I had the like the like the sunroof open on the car. It just felt nice for once that there was like heat coming out of the sun. You know what I mean? It's just like I could feel it on my face. I'm just like, oh, they just it, it felt so good, man. It felt so good. Yeah. I- Dude, I totally, totally agree, man. And you, you seem to adjust well to every season. In the winter, you're in the mountains, you're you're skiing, you're snowboarding, you're taking advantage of that. In the summer, you're out on the bike. You find a way to enjoy all of the seasons. For me, I'm all about the summer. The other three seasons can go to, they can go wherever they need to go. <laughs> I, I'm all about summer. I used to be a big snowboarder, but I feel like I got that out of my system. I am all about the summer, so I'm super happy about this nice weather. That said, we have a really packed show tonight. We don't have a Grand Prix this weekend. We get a break before we have a triple header back-to-back-to-back Grand Prix race weekends, but we still have some really cool topics to get to. But I think before we do that, we have some typical laundry items to get through, my friend. We do. Before we get uh, going, just want to give a shout-out to uh, Tease and the crew at uh, RacingExclusives.com. If you want some unique and authentic Formula One merchandise, go and check them out racingexclusives.com comes with a, a coa certificate of authenticity they got some amazing stuff so make sure you go check them out also head on over to the raceweekend.com that's r-a-c-e-w-k-n-d.com and that is uh, put together by our good friend magnus and the team over there and enter in scuderia pod at checkout and save 10 percent. and we get a tiny little fraction of that which helps us pay some of the bills over there uh, over here magnus can worry about his own bills <laughs> <laughs> anyways as we move along let's Dude, just um magnus well, is, he's linking up with tiesto he's linking up with tiesto like he doesn't I, he doesn't need us anymore he's clearly that's, that's leveled what i was up. trying to say that's yeah. what i was trying to say he's rubbing <laughs> shoulders with global celebrities he doesn't need yeah. little old mark daly and mark hamilton anymore uh, not I that he ever so- did 
<laughs> Let, let's move along before this turns into like a bout of self-pity that we don't really need to to get involved in not not on the air anyways we, we'll cry afterwards after we yep. we, we yep. turn off the uh, the recording here over on the uh on the championship side of things in the 2023 formula one drivers championship we have max verstappen leading the way with 119 points his teammate sergio perez currently second with 105 fernando alonso no you did not hear this wrong no this is not 2006 or five, or eight, or whatever, some of these other more Fernando-esque types of years. Anyways, Fernando third with 75 points, Lewis Hamilton fourth with 56, and then Carlos Sainz fifth with 44 points. Over on the Constructors' side in the championship, Red Bull leading the way with 224 points, Aston Martin with 102 points, Mercedes with 96. That's getting pretty juicy there for second in the Constructors, eh, Mark? Only six points between Aston Martin and Mercedes. Then you got Ferrari in fourth with 78th and then McLaren a country mile back in fifth they have only 14 points so far so we've been giving Fernando a lot of press over the last uh, couple of months since the season started but his teammate Lance Stroll making some headlines on his own he he, he, what, he dropped a video with DJ Khaled can you can you tell me a, a little couple, bit more so about this so not a music video to be clear but okay and, okay and let's be this honest what I missed Formula One exists for the promotional opportunities and the commercial tie-ins but I got a real kick out of the fact that there were a couple videos that partnered Lance Stroll up with DJ Khaled during the Miami Grand Prix weekend. Both of them are just glorified Hugo Boss commercials, uh, but they're worth checking out. And I will link both of them in our Twitter feed. Now, apparently I was the last one in the world to see them, but I, I like DJ No, Khaled. I'll He's take fine. that honor. I'll, I'll take okay. that because I okay, didn't know that that's this- fair. Okay. That's so fair. You could be I'll second you last. Link. You could be second last. I'll send last. you the link. It certainly won't be via Twitter DM because we don't follow each other, which is a, a running <laughs> running gag amongst the community. But yeah, it was fun. It, it is funny because oh, DJ it's a Holland sore point. It's a sore point. <laughs> so much energy and personality, and he just projects it. And Lance, yeah. Lance is a different type of personality, so it's interesting to see the two of them interface in a in a video, especially one that's concocted to help sell Boss clothing. But, <laughs> but yeah, I got a kick out of those. Cool. The other outcome from Miami Grand Prix, and I'm going to skip ahead here, is according to ESPN PR, Miami GP drew the second largest U.S. live TV audience in history. They averaged 1.96 million people with a peak of 2.2. Now, the problem is this is down massively from 20. 22. And, and like I put in our outline, the spotlight now is really on Vegas because Vegas is going to be a prime time, not even a prime time, a late, a late Saturday night slot. So I'll be very curious to see. Now, if you're wondering what that 1.96 million average compares to, that's about what some of the NHL second round playoff series are averaging and what some, some low rated NBA playoff averages would see. I think I think the first game, for instance, in the second round series between the LA Lakers and the Golden State Warriors was drawing on average between five and eight million people at any given time. So just to just to contextualize that a little bit, it's still not a super, super high number. And it's also a little bit a little bit disappointing that the number slipped so significantly from 2022. But I think a big part of that, and you and I have talked a lot about this, there was a lot of hangover. Actually hangover's the wrong term because it's it kind of has a negative connotation, but I think mm-hmm. that the 2022 season had a significant amount of anticipation and excitement, especially on the heels of that down to the wire 2021 championship. And I think this year it's pretty clear at this point that the championship isn't necessarily up 
for grabs in the way that it was in 2021. So that might be impacting it. And then finally, my last little stat on Miami before we put Miami in the rear view mirror, the Miami Grand Prix surprisingly had 60 on track overtakes, which was the most of 2023. Bahrain had 37, KSA had 36, Saudi had 36, Australia had 29, Baku had just 23 and 20 in the sprint. And Miami, like I said, had 60 overtakes. So while you and I may not have been thrilled with the on track action, the number of overtakes was uh, was definitely amongst the most, or it was the most that we've seen so far this year. Yeah, by quite a bit too. And I was just uh, thinking when we when you put that stat out there, Mark, that it, it seems so counterintuitive because everybody afterwards was like, that was not really a super exciting race. But I mean, the stats say, you know, in, in theory, it should have been the most exciting race of the season considering there was all that that action going on up and down the uh, the, the, the race order. So that, that was a bit of a surprise. Okay, you found a, a pretty cool graphic here for motorsport.com. So most race wins for Red Bull. Sebastian Vettel and Max Verstappen tied with 38 wins apiece. Mark Weber, former RBR driver, has nine. Danny Ricardo, his fellow Australian, has seven. Sergio Perez now has five race wins for Red Bull. Now, most one-two finishes by active Formula One teams. Ferrari leads that stat, leads that category. They've got 85. Mercedes is second with 59. McLaren third with 48. Williams is fourth with 33. And then you have Red Bull with 26 1-2 finishes. And then surprisingly, Alfa Romeo has four 1-2 finishes. I was just thinking, how many decades do we have to go? Are, are we talking like 1950s years? Long before us. Long before yeah, we were doing this no show. No kidding. No kidding. Long before we were born, my friend. That must yeah. go back to the 1950s. Easy with that one. So that's uh, actually a pretty cool stat. Just want to give a couple of shout outs here to Ahir02 and uh, L the Leopard. And then the last one is Deuce Pipestone, who left uh, very nice uh, five-star ratings and reviews on Apple uh, Podcasts. So here said Scootery F1 hits every major story and caters to both new and old fans. Best F1 podcast out there. El the Leopard uh, wrote, I really wish these guys were around when I started watching Formula 1 as a child with my father in late 70s. Being quite knowledgeable, the two marks provide an enjoyable listening experience of all the F1 podcasts I've tried. And there are many. I refuse to miss any of this podcast. And then the last one from Deuce Pipestone. Great show. Least I could do is provide a positive review. Solid listen for all F1 enthusiasts. So thank Thank you one and all for those kind words and thank you for uh, for you know, showing us uh, support we really really appreciate it to to one and all of course so mark we're kind of moving ahead of schedule compared to usual where we really struggle to get into anything of substance within the first <laughs> and boy do we what? get that feedback we certainly get that feedback <laughs> we 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 do but uh, you know okay the, the first hour isn't filler for once so here we go 10 minutes in first uh I'll, actually i'm gonna let you take this one because this is uh, I mean this is a, a topic both of us are uh, passionate about but uh, you've done a little bit more work you've interviewed some of these drivers so we ha- have an F1 Academy update so Hammy why don't you take this one away Absolutely. And I I should apologize because last year I I had this commitment that we were going to do a lot of coverage of the W series and I I overpromised and underdelivered so this year in part because the series is exciting 
on its own, on its own merits, but also because we've got relationships with some of the drivers that I'm super invested in making sure that we surface and socialize and talk about F1 Academy as much as possible. So last weekend was the second round. So the the championship is moving quite quickly. We had three races once again, and Hamda Elkobesi, Bianca Bustamante, and Marta Garcia were the race winners in the second F1 Academy round, which was held in Valencia. So Hamda Elkobesi currently sits number two in the championship. Marta Garcia is first with 96 points. Like I said, Hamda Elkobesi is sitting second with 71. Uh, Marty is 54. We also have Ham or Amna Elkobesi, who is Hamda's sister. She's sitting fifth with 49 points. And currently in number 10 is Megan Gilks, who is a friend of the show and we're hoping to have on again in the near future, is sitting on 15 points. So we have a little bit of a break now in that championship in the calendar before they resume, but it's been a great couple of weeks of racing. We haven't really seen any of it because it's not being broadcast anywhere, but based on the based on the writing and the work of the analysts and the reporters that have been on site, it has been very, very good. And the quality of the racing has been exceptional. Again, we haven't seen this, so it's 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 hard to really extrapolate a lot from something other than the timing sheets, but by all accounts, the the series is doing exactly what it was intended to do. And maybe fingers crossed, hopefully Formula One will find a way to get some of these races onto onto F1 TV Pro this year. Because like I said previously, we're certainly the championship F1 Liberty. They're doing a disservice to all of these wonderful young drivers who are doing such a fantastic job on track and are getting the opportunity uh, to have the televised exposure that drivers in Formula 3 and Formula 2 and some of the other junior formula enjoy. Yeah, and very cool that a couple of uh, drivers that, uh, like you say, we have relationships with are doing, uh, you know, doing pretty good so far, and uh, you know, representing Hamda, nicely. That's Hamda exciting. Two yeah. in the championship, yeah, and exciting and what's to remarkable, see. Remarkable, and I posted this since the last podcast, but a couple of months ago, she she hurt her arm in a crash, and I think it was in the I think it was in the Formula Four UAE Championship. I, although I could be wrong, and there was this really cute video of her in the hospital, and she was clearly on painkillers. But there was doctors wrapping up her arm, and in this video, she starts imitating Thanos from from the <laughs> Avengers, and, and it was so cute. But last week, F one, I, I don't know if it was actually her or her dad or Formula One, but they posted some video or some photos of the X rays of her arm. She clearly broken the bone, like snapped the bone. Like it is, like I'll, I'll retweet them. Although I think they're in our feed now. The injury she suffered two months ago, that for her to now be number two in the championship, completely, completely unbelievable, absolutely unbelievable. But I'll, I will retweet that because I it's and I was talking to my wife about this, like medically, I don't know how she could recover so quickly and be behind the wheel of an open wheel racing car like that. But but incredible. And she's number two in Amazing. the championship, close on the heels of the the championship leader. Yeah, that that's that's surprising. Um, I'm a little bit squeamish, so I don't know if I'll go and check those pictures out. But you, you've piqued my interest, so maybe I'll have to your... to go do that. <laughs> Daily, I have to ask you because okay. we didn't get the opportunity to talk about this when we did our Sunday podcast, which I thought was really good. But you did join Mr. Tim Haraney on his podcast to talk about the Miami GP. Did you with Mr. Tim Haraney, because if you did it, we have the opportunity now. But did you talk about the quote unquote contentious driver intros that were utilized at the Miami Grand Prix? 
Yeah, we did really briefly, and, and Tim didn't like it, you know, because he was there. He was at the race, and he was down there in pit lane on the grid and everything like that. So he got to see it pretty much, you know, up close and personal. And then when I heard it relay, because, you know, I basically came screaming into the house from all the other things that were going on that day and jumped down to, uh, jumped to sit down in front of the TV to watch the race. And so I just basically went to the formation lap and and I never went back. And I, as soon as I heard that, uh, that, you know, when I heard what it was all about, I'm like, eh, not really my thing. I'm not going to go and check it out. So I'll be honest, I haven't gone back and, and watched it to, to check it out, but I'm surprised that it's still generating all this, you know, fuss, all this, uh, you know, all these many days later. So I'd love to hear what, what, what your take is on it. I mean, I'm not a big fan of things like that to begin with. So like I say, I don't necessarily need to go back and see it, but I'd love to hear your two cents. Yeah, and don't, and don't like you. You are a busy person with a busy family and a busy job. Do not go back in time to find find these these highlights. So if you if you didn't hear, a, the Miami race organizers introduced a new a new element of the pre race ceremonies and. They set up a stage close to the starting grid and they brought the drivers out one by one and introduced them. And the individual that was DJing the event was LL Cool J. So he would invite them out. Will I Am was there and he was functioning as a conductor because there was also an orchestra there. The Miami Dolphins cheerleaders were also present. And the general feedback from fans has been overwhelmingly negative. I saw a poll earlier today that had, I think, 2,000 submissions and it was 90% not in favor and 10% in favor of it. Now, some of the drivers, including Lewis Hamilton, were very much in favor of it. Lewis said, I think it's cool that the sport is continuously growing and evolving and not just doing the same stuff they've done in the past. They're trying new things. They're trying to improve the show and I'm full support of it. I grew up listening to LL Cool J and he was there. That was cool. And then you look over and you've got Will I Am, who's an incredible artist. You've got Serena and Venus Williams standing there. I thought it was cool. No issue from me. Now, his teammate on the other hand, was very, very negative about it. George Russell says, um, and I quote, we spoke about it as drivers on Friday night. Um, Everybody's got different perspectives and different personalities, and I guess it's the American way of doing sport. Um, He continues, the new ceremony, personally, is probably not for me, but that's my personal opinion, but I'm here to race. I'm not here for the show. I'm here to drive. I'm here to win, but I guess we have to roll with it. He continues, it is distracting because we're on the grid for half an hour and our overalls in the sun, and I don't think there's any other sport in the world that 30 minutes before you go out to do your business, that you're out there in the sun, all the cameras on you, making it a bit of a show. I appreciate that in the entertainment world, but as as I said, we only want the best for our sport. We're open to changes, but I guess we wouldn't want to see it every weekend. Um, and he finally concludes, I don't think it will be every weekend. I think it'll be the big races. I'm not too sure, to be honest. Now, what he's responding to at the end there is the fact that F1 intends to use this pre-race driver introduction at six to seven additional events this year. Now, you asked me my opinion. I don't love it, man. I don't need this. I think it's a lot of song and dance. I think it's somewhat disingenuous for the drivers. I don't know what value it adds to the television broadcast. Even if you do it at the track, a very few small select number of spectators are actually going to see it and be able to experience it. 
I don't see the value here. And I think this is one of those circumstances where I would probably lean into the drivers. The drivers do a ton of fan engagement, whether it's signing, whether it's promotional, whether it's travel, whether it's doing partnerships with the sponsors, ultimately 30 minutes, 45 minutes before the race, short of the the parade circle on the lap. I, I want them in the cars. I want them with their engineers. I want them focusing on the race. I don't want them to be distracted with this. Now, according to Jonathan Noble over at motorsport.com f1 does plan to consult with the drivers over pre-race show plans going forward and this is directly in response to the fact that the drivers actually met on the friday before the grand prix at a gpda meeting and were overwhelmingly negative but we're still willing to give it a try there's generally an agreement that we should give it a try but it sounds like formula one and the fia will continue to engage the drivers so they can come to to some sort of consensus on what and how this could look going forward. But I know it created quite the buzz on the internet on Sunday, especially, and really it trickled over into Monday and Tuesday, but I didn't love it, man. And I don't need it. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, I'm not a big fan of stuff like that. Even for the big games, like the Super Bowl and stuff like that, I might kind of tune in a little bit uh, early. I mean, I'll certainly watch the halftime show because that's kind of what the Super Bowl is about when it comes to entertainment. But I mean, even for a big game like that, it's like, get get me to kick off and I, I'm, I'm good to go. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm there for the sport. I'm not really there for all the, the pomp and, and circumstance and things like that. The, the only other thing to add about this too is uh, unfortunately, there was a very loud, very large, and I shouldn't say large, but there was a very loud contingent of fans uh, that booed Max Verstappen mercilessly during this experience, which certainly wasn't a good look for the sports, especially during a pre-race introductory ceremony. So I didn't think that was a, a particularly good look. Max's uh, response, though, I thought was brilliant. Max said, people often don't like it when you win. If we were driving at the back, we wouldn't have heard anything in reference to the booing. But I'd rather be at the top and take my trophy with me and then go home and have a nice evening. So a brilliant response to <laughs> Max, who, like I said, was, yeah. was booed quite mercilessly during the pre-race ceremony. Yeah, keeping it classy. Good for him. Anyway, so why don't we take a quick break here? We're still not done with uh, Miami. We got uh, something to talk about, and we'll do that in just a moment. So, uh, so we'll come back after a quick break, and we'll pick it up there. So don't go away. We'll catch you on the flip side. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, welcome back to the show. And yeah, one more thing, Mark, uh, to discuss about Miami is that uh, perhaps uh, we we might see a bit of a change uh, to the format of the race. And we're not talking about uh, you know the the layout of the track or anything, at least uh, not that we know of. But uh, Miami Dolphin CEO Tom Garfinkel said that uh, they are considering perhaps uh, switching to a night race. Anyways, uh, Garfinkel said the following to reporters last week: "Quote: We've had some discussions." about that we've had some discussions about potentially doing that it's obviously this time of the year that the weather's a little unpredictable the weather's been nice so far this year last year was unceasingly hot but there's a lot of factors that go into that with f1 and television and everything else so we've got a lot to weigh on all those things but we're certainly open-minded to it end quote oh pardon me uh, there was still a little bit more he said we're, we're not at a place where we're making a decision right now i think we're having discussions where if we did it what it would look like end quote so there you go mark you know i wouldn't actually you know be opposed to that like uh you know i wouldn't say that miami is my favorite track on the circuit now that we've seen it twice but i wouldn't say that it's my least favorite you know <laughs> i think monaco takes that one by far and I, I recognize the historical significance of monaco and the events and it's like the the, the jewel and the crown of formula one but the track itself i mean let, let, let's let's face it it wasn't built for cars like this i mean the cars that were racing around monaco i guess you could say in its in the golden age of formula one were far 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 different and and nowadays i mean you know the cars are so big they're so wide and you know compared to to what they were back in the day that there's very very little racing of note and most of the overtaking is a result of accidents or pit stops and things like that anyways but um, you know Miami, I, I I don't I don't hate it. I think it's a fairly decent track. You know, there, there's obviously some things that they can do with it to, to improve it. But yeah, I, I think that uh, that a night race in Miami actually might be kind of cool. And I've changed my perspective on night races when they first debuted in Formula One. What at least a decade ago, if not Singapore, longer. Right? I, I, it was Singapore. Yeah, it must have been Singapore. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I wasn't too crazy about it in the beginning, but um, I've come to love night races and and I think Miami could be one of those ones where it really works, but you know, <laughs> they're, they're going to do that with, uh, with, with Vegas as well, so I don't know. Just, it, it would be cool. Anyways, Daily, by you, the you way, want to say please, something? Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, Go yeah. Ahead. Please do not apologize for your take on on Monaco. You do not need to apologize. I'm I am not apologetic for my take that Monaco is not a great race and unless you're there it's not necessarily a great experience. I don't care to see a harbor full of boats and I still feel terrible because back in 2021, I don't know if you remember this, we were we were in the throes of that championship and there was mm-hmm. a ton of people that were watching the sport because drive to survive and the pandemic etc cetera, etc cetera, etc cetera. and I think we probably oversold Monaco. And I'll never forget that after that Grand Prix race weekend, so many people were sliding into our DMs. It's like, what were you talking about? Like, even as a new (laughs) fan, I know that was terrible. So don't be apologetic for that take. I I think that 
one of the things Miami is going to try to do because it's it's going to compete in a not insignificant way with Las Vegas now for corporate sponsorships and fans and hospitality packages. I think they're going to watch Las Vegas very closely to see if that Saturday night slot works successfully. I don't think a Sunday night slot would work simply because you'd be putting the Grand Prix into the early hours of Monday in, in Europe. And I don't think anyone's going to sign up for that, but they might be open to doing a late, late night um, Saturday night race in, in Miami. Now, it would involve installing a ton of infrastructure, like a ton of costly lighting infrastructure, but the Miami Dolphins have clearly demonstrated so far that they're willing to continue to invest in the Miami Autodrome. So yeah, be cool to see if they're willing to willing to give it a try in a couple of years. Yeah, I certainly wouldn't say uh, no to that. Um, okay, moving along. So this could be a fun one. So there will be consequences. And this comes from the CEO of Renault. And that is uh, none other than uh, Laurent Rossi. And talking about the, the, the really sluggish, slow, unimpressive, disappointing start to the season that uh, we've seen with Alpine. And th this is an organization that has you know, pumped in a ton of cash. Mark, this uh, this should be a fun one. So let, let's kick it off. Let's get into this. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll for I'll forgive our listeners if you've already heard me talk about this. I was, uh, I was fortunate enough to be in invited to join Adam Burns on the DNF1 podcast earlier today. And we spent an hour on this topic alone. And it's a hot one. And if you haven't heard during the Miami Grand Prix race weekend, the CEO of Alpine, and now when I talk about Alpine, I'm talking about um, the Alpine road car division, which is an extension of the Renault automotive group. And of course, um, the Alpine Formula One team, uh, their CEO, Laurent Rossi, went on a very long tirade with Canal Plus, which is a French network and was very, very, very critical of everything happening in Endstone, which is, of course, the base, the factory where the Alpine Formula One team is based. He then did an interview, an exclusive interview with Lawrence Barreto of F1, where he effectively doubled down on all of those criticisms. Like he just laid bare his, his frustrations and his anger about the performance and the execution of the Alpine Formula One team so far this year. And in my opinion on this is probably shared by many, but on the one hand, I think this is absolutely atrocious leadership, but it also probably speaks to the fact that he has completely lost faith in, in his team principal, Otmar. And I think it's important that we back this up. So to contextualize this a little bit for everybody, Laurent Rossi became the CEO of the Alpine Group back in the beginning of 2020. He introduced, after rumors that had been bubbling for months, he introduced Otmar as the team principal early in 2022. And if you remember Alpine or Otmar had been leading the Force India group, and then he was leading the uh, Aston Martin Formula One team. Lawrence Stroll introduced Mike Crack, and they introduced Martin Whitmarsh, and he was effectively shown the door. And at the time, he made a comment about, you know what, it's, it's hard to work in an environment where there's two popes. So at the time, I think a lot of people assumed that acquiring Otmar was a real boon to, to Alpine, that they secured this tremendous team principal who was able to make amazing things happen on a relatively low budget. And they're going to bring him to a factory works team. Like this was, this was a coup for them. This is a great pickup. And I think ultimately, if you reflect now on the past 18 months of his experience with that team, clearly it hasn't necessarily been a good fit. Now, last year, 
Admittedly, Alpine finished fourth in the Constructors' Championship. As a works team, it's probably embarrassing or would have been embarrassing if they finished lower than that. Now, you got to be cautious not to give Otmar too much credit for that because the cars on the track last year were not his cars. Those were cars he inherited. He had zero DNA, had zero fingerprints on those cars. The driver pairing was also not his driver pairing. And if you remember what happened last summer, let's flash back. <laughs> At the beginning of the summer break, Fernando Alonso bolts Alpine in complete shock, doesn't even tell Otmar before he tells other people within the organization. And he left because he felt a little bit of disrespect. And I think Alpine were shocked because they assumed that he owed them some degree of loyalty, that he'd been there for two championships. He, they brought him back to Formula One. He clearly didn't trust what was happening. He had some amazing foresight and he signed a deal to go to Aston Martin. And at the time, if you remember, Alpine then announced on social media, Oscar Piastri, our new second driver, is our driver pairing, to which he responded on social media, like hell, I'm going to be driving for this team. <laughs> and he bolts. At that point, Otmar makes some really unprofessional comments about Otmar or about uh, Piastri and social media. They go to the contract recognition board. They get denied there. He exits the team and they have to bring in Pierre Gasly at the end of the season. So it was a really bad look last year. Now, this year to provide a little bit of context as well, Alpine went into this season thinking they were going to improve by two seconds a lap over the prior year on a track-to-track basis. So far, they've improved by six-tenths, which is only 25% of the improvement that they'd expected to see. They've also struggled significantly with execution in terms of race strategy and in terms of even executing a pit stop. Their drivers have under-delivered. Of course, the two drivers came together in Australia and cost the team a boatload of points. And here we are now sitting on May 11th, and they have 14 points in the Constructors' Championship. This is... This is a total disaster. And when I was on the podcast earlier today with Adam Burns, and this is where I want to get your opinion, he made the comment that a lot of a lot of Laurent Rossi's reaction and anger might be that another midfield team in Aston Martin has leapt over three works teams into second place. And I think he's sitting here looking, if they were capable of doing that as a customer team, what the heck is happening at Endstone that we are going backwards? And I think he he verbalized his frustration in a way that probably isn't going to be conducive to engagement in Endstone. But I also think that they've probably made some pretty hard decisions already about what they're going to do from a personnel perspective. Because of course, Laurent Rossi, he ultimately reports into the CEO of the Renault group and is responsible for the performance of the Formula One team. But it's a mess so far that we're sitting here, like I said, May 11th, and they've scored 14 points as a factory works team. That's totally unacceptable. Yeah, totally. I mean, just to pick up on uh, Adam's comments there, I mean, yeah, I mean, Aston Martin has over, like, you know, sprung past three works teams to be, you know, second in the Constructors' Championship uh, this year. But let's not forget, this is Otmar's former team. His former team without him have, like, made light years of advancements and and gone past Mercedes, gone past Ferrari. They're now, well, they're obviously not as uh, quick as Red Bull, but neither is anyone else. But where they've leapt forward so far, I mean, his new team, 
Alpine has, as, as you pointed out, they've regressed. So, I mean, Rossi, you know, he, I think he's justifiably frustrated and, and upset that, uh, that this is not only just stagnated, but regressing. And it's, it's just amazing because I was thinking about that too, that when you look at the team that Mike Crack inherited from Otmar last year, I mean, th- that car, it it you know they I know that they said that they felt it had like potential and stuff like that, but I mean it it was an underwhelming year. But you and come it was into Otmar's this car. season, and that's the and point. it was Otmar's that, car that, that exactly. Was Otmar's exactly, car. His DNA was yep. all over that car. Yeah, and and look at the car now that uh, that that's under the program that's uh, being headed by Mike Crack over at Aston Martin. I mean to to say that they've been a revelation this uh, this season, Aston Martin. That is is I, I think it's, it's warranted, and it's justified, and I think they've they've completely earned those uh, you know all those uh, you know um, you know all the praise and all the props that they're getting from people. But you know as impressive as it is to watch what they've done over the past uh, year and a half, it's 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 almost disturbing to. See See how far like Alpine has fallen back in in the same amount of time, and and this is an organization that ha- should have sufficiently more you know like to to work with than Aston Martin. I mean, um, I, I mean Aston Martin is sort of kind of not really a works team, but it is. Um, but you know, I mean Alpine. I mean it it boggles the mind that that they've kind of struggled, kind of. Always, <laughs> it's just not getting any better. It, it's getting worse. M Dog, let me read the comments from Laurent Rossi because I think this will help reinforce the emotions that are flowing around that team right now. He he says we started the season behind development targets when we spoke. Or he said, sorry, we started the season behind development targets. We were lacking performance compared to where we wanted to be to cement P four. We have made a lot of mistakes too many mistakes over the weekend. When you compound that relatively lower performance and a lack of operational excellence, you end up in a difficult position. It makes for a difficult year ahead. The season is still young. I don't want to give up, but a couple of things need to change. We need to continue reinforcing the team to get the performance back. One of the things that needs to change as it's largely the same team as last year is mindset. It is something that needs to change for people in the team now and new people we are going to add. It starts with owning up to your mistakes, to not repeat the mistakes, to learn from your mistakes. It's okay to make mistakes. It's not okay to make them twice because it means you didn't learn. This year, there's a lot of excuses which lead to poor performance and a lack of operational excellence. I need to tackle this. I need the right people to tackle this. I need the team to be aware. They need to do that as it's not up to me. It's up to them. They have to do it. It's their responsibility. I hope they make the same diagnosis. I will make it clear to them that this is the diagnosis and they need to fix that. Wow. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, this is obviously a person that's uh, reached the the end of their, their rope, right? I mean... He he must be so frustrated that 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 whatever he and I, I don't know how much influence Laurent Rossi has like on the day to day operations of the the Alpine Formula it's One team. It's reportedly very little. It's reportedly very yeah. little. But but regardless, I mean, as uh, you know, what his uh, role is within the larger Renault organization, the F one program, like you say, is part of his. It's it's in it's in his portfolio, so he must be at least um, up to date on all the high points. I mean, all the day to day stuff he doesn't need to, to to know about. But I mean, 
you know, when you when you when you kind of just go down that really sad laundry list of um, you know non achievements uh, this year, I mean, it's it's disturbing that they you know they they haven't hit development targets. They haven't you know they just I guess it's it's summed up like right at the end of it. It says okay, it's it's okay to make a mistake once, but to make it twice is unacceptable because it shows that you're clearly haven't learned from your mistakes. And I think that really just kind of like sums up like um, you know like all his frustrations in that 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 one or two sentence little snippet here are his comments on on his team principal otmar and i quote he is responsible for for the performance of the team that's his job there is no hiding here otmar was brought in to steer the team through the season and the next seasons toward the objectives that we have which is to constantly make progress as we did in the first two years fifth and fourth and to get to the podiums and therefore this is his mission to turn this team around and bring it to the performance that we want we had a team that performed reasonably well last year got the fourth position which is the best improvement we had in a long time it showed a lot of promise it's more or less the same people so i don't accept that we're not capable of maintaining that. Yes, it is Otmar and the rest of the team as Otmar alone doesn't do everything, but the buck stops with Otmar. It's Otmar's responsibility. Yes. Um, I won't read any more quotes, but there were a couple of other revelations in this article from Laura, uh, for, uh, sorry, from Lawrence Barreto. And one of them is that Alpine, sorry, Renault more specifically, is continuing to invest in this team. They're hoping to get a wind tunnel up and running in the next 18 to 24 months, I think, which will be very helpful for them from an aero development perspective. The other thing, too, that I wasn't aware of is that Alpine is willing, sorry, Renault is willing to fund this team in a way that will enable them to spend to the cost cap. So I think there have been some questions about Renault's commitment to the Formula One team. Uh, At this point, it sounds like they are very much committed. And there was also some commentary in here about the fact that in recent years, Renault has invested half a billion euros into this team between chassis design and chassis development and power unit design and power unit development. So it is a full on works team. If you go to Google Street View and you get creeping like I tend to do, you'll notice the Enstone factory is <laughs> not particularly big. It's not a huge facility, certainly needs upgrading. But all of that said, you would expect a factory works team that has the benefit of developing the chassis and the power unit in unison wouldn't be scrapping for seventh or P6 in the constructors championship. Now, my my question to you, because you work in business, you work in academia, you're a manager, you're a leader, you have been for many, many years. If you wanted to motivate your people, is going and outwardly criticizing their performance on a public forum the way to do that? Or or do you do that behind closed doors by having meaningful, meaty coaching and and difficult conversations that to me it seems it seems unproductive to go to the public to air these grievances now maybe he's had these conversations with Otmar but it just seems problematic and it shows that there's division and a fracture in this team yeah i i would uh, totally agree with you mark I, I mean when it gets to this point it almost seems like it, it, it's almost the point of no return because now your dirty laundry's out in, exactly in public. right I mean, exactly you know and I, I would struggle to think that like somebody that has the the role within Renault that uh, Laurent Rossi does got their, you know, soul, you know, I, I can't believe that, he, let's put it this way, that he wouldn't have had these conversations with Otmar and the team you know, in person or in meetings before. Like it just said to me, it seems a little 
it would be a surprise if he went straight to the meeting or the, the the media to kind of spout off and 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 you know vent his frustration rather than talking to the team about it. I mean, I wouldn't say it's unheard of, but I think it'd be very very unlikely. And you know, and and that's why I would agree with you, Mark, that if that was the case, or it is the case that once you start throwing it all out there for public consumption, it's 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 counterproductive almost to a point. But maybe it just speaks to the fact that that maybe he's tried everything yes. else. And he's still not getting the like the results that he's after, that, right? That daily is a great point that maybe these conversations have been happening repeatedly and he's challenging them and he's he's reminding them that they're being provided with resources and maybe he's honestly at at the end of his at wit's end that I've tried everything yep. else to motivate you and see improvement that this is this is where I am now because again it's not new it's not just what's manifested itself since the beginning of the season it's the spillover from last year everything with the drivers and the driver contracts and how terrible that played out in media the lack of development because again he's seeing things that we don't see all you and I see is what's said in public what's said on social media and what happens on the track he can see what's happening in the factory. So he has a better idea of what the next two to three to four months of performance is going to look like out of that car because he's seeing the sims, he's seeing the data, he's seeing all of the analysis, and he might already know that the next three months are going to be a total disaster. So my question to you now is, we're sitting here on May 11th. They have 14 points in the championship. They will be very, very lucky to be able to compete for P5 in the constructors this year, which means that they are going to forfeit significant constructors prize money versus the prior year. Do you now effectively tank and go all in for next year in the sense that I'm going to take whatever money I've left in the cost cap, I'm going to drive it into developing the 24 car, or do I continue to scratch and claw and try to get everything I can out of the 23 car? Or I, I'm going to throw another scenario Ooh, out there. Do I you like pull it. the plug or do you pull the plug and get rid of Otmar and put in a new team principal? So this uh, that person has the benefit of this uh, the rest of this season to you know, do whatever it is. And perhaps maybe you make that call that, hey, you know, we, we just show up for the next 18 races, but we throw all our eggs into 24 and let's uh, let, let's get the new person working and, and driving that, uh, you know, the, 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 the 2024 car sooner rather than later. So I think you may have just nailed what the possible outcome is going to be here. And I say that because there is reports in the European press that Laurent Rossi approached one Matteo Bonato about potentially oh. assuming this role <laughs> and was turned wow. down that Matteo Bonato wow. wasn't, so again, reportedly wasn't interested. But if I'm Otmar at this huh. point, and you'll notice I keep trying to avoid seeing his last name because I can't pronounce it properly and I don't want to disrespect him. Safnauer? That, that, there you go. Um, Otmar S. <laughs> Otmar S. The Romanian-American team principal. I, I think that we, we might have already kind of unraveled the mystery of what his his employment status is going to be over the couple next couple of months. Now, again, you don't do hmm. that unless you have a plan, but the other plan could be as well that you you terminate him and Laurent Rossi assumes team principal responsibilities to get the team through the rest of the season so they can recruit and hire a great team principal moving forward. 
Yeah, yeah, interesting. So obviously a story that we're going to have to keep uh, an eye on over the next uh, weeks uh, and months ahead. But yeah, I mean, if if you're going to do something drastic and you already know that this season's a write-off, I mean, just just do it. Just pull the band-aid off and, and get it done sooner rather than later. It's anyway. One so, last thing. Sorry, I promise. I know we have to go to the break, but this just occurred to me as well. It's also remarkable that, and I think we could probably make the argument that Max Verstappen is the best driver on the grid this year by a country mile. Yes. The second best yep. driver this year is Fernando Alonso and Alpine yep. had him. They had him. He was he was driving for their team last year and due to unforced errors they lost him because they weren't willing to commit to money, they weren't willing to commit to term. They may have assumed that there was some degree of loyalty there that wasn't necessarily there. They had Fernando Alonso and they let him go and just look what he's doing now that he's with Aston Martin. Yeah, I know. I, I know. And the, the the surprising thing about Fernando is, and I said this uh, on Tim's show last weekend, that I love new, chill, happy Fernando because I feel like we've seen miserable, cranky Fernando for far too many years in the past. <laughs> so I mean, it's it, it's it's he's been such a breath of fresh air for all the right reasons uh, in, in 2023. So, anyways, we'll talk about him just after the break. So we'll we'll get to, to that in just a moment. But first, away we got to step away, pay some bills, and when we come back. We will talk about Mr. Fernando Alonso, so don't go away. We'll be right back. All right, and welcome back. Mark, it is time to talk about Mr. Fernando Alonso, the two-time world champion, and what he's done so far this year with Aston Martin. First of all, Mark, I know we, we've talked about it. Uh, you know, We've talked about Fernando quite a bit so far this season on the podcast and the fact that, you know, that what, what it's come to him over the years that we've had like a love-hate relationship and and more of the time he's fallen into the former than into the latter. Do we say love-hate? Oh, no. So he fell into the latter not the former category. I mean, you know, he's been a very polarizing person in Formula One over the over the years since he's been there, and he's burnt a, a lot of bridges. But I, you know, I was very surprised uh, when he announced that uh, he was leaving Alpine and he was going to go to Aston Martin uh, th- this year. And I, I often thought uh, at the at the time, is this even a wise move? Because they they kind of under well they didn't kind of they did undeliver the first couple of years in Formula One since they rebranded. For from, from Racing Point to, uh, to Aston Martin. And uh, I, I know last year they felt like there was a lot more in the car and they just, you know, they, they weren't really able to extract it. We saw some flashes here and there, but I don't think anybody saw that uh, that Aston Martin would leapfrog literally everybody else except for Red Bull and become the number two best team on the grid. And Fernando obviously driving really, really good. He's driving at a, a very high level. And, and Tim and I talked about it on Sunday night i mean you look at where fernando is he's been in top the 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 top five all the races so far this year and lance has only i think broken into the top five once so far this year in the first five races of the season and, and you've talked about it and you've, you've mentioned it quite a few times mark that 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 lance needs to step his game up because fernando is proving what this car is capable of in the hands of a of a good driver but anyways back to fernando himself he said that um you know he's only a little bit uh, kind of uh, frustrated but you know he's still pretty happy with uh, what's uh, what's going on uh, so far this year but he said that he's waiting for the moment for when unbreakable red bull will crack so do we think uh you know 
do, <laughs> do we think that this is going to happen or is this a little bit of wishful thinking by uh, Fernando Alonso? We we all want it to happen. And by crack, I think he means that ultimately that impenetrable wall that is that one two finish of Red Bull will crack. There'll be a DNF. There'll be an unexpected off. Somebody will get stuck in a gravel trap. That something will happen to create an opening that will let this consistently P3 finisher sneak through and find his way to the top of the podium. Obviously, and I've shared this before, the principal reason I'm tuning in for Formula One Grand Prix at this point is because I want to see what Fernando Alonso is going to do and he hasn't disappointed at all this year he's delivered every single weekend and i've been so happy watching him Uh, to see him win a grand prix this year more than a decade after his last race win would be not a revelation because it would almost be expected in a sense that he's already delivering these tremendous performances but it would be a true highlight in a season that's been disappointing from a from a championship chase, a championship race perspective. But boy, that would be amazing. And I think like all of us, he's just, he's waiting for that opening, that that opening on the Red Bull wall of of superiority at the top of the the top of the order. But I would I would be so over the moon to see him win a race. And I never in a million years thought I would be advocating or cheering or hoping for that. <laughs> Not after all these years, but I'll, I'll read the quote. This comes from uh, an article on speedcafe.com that was written by Ian Parks. And the exact Fernando uh, quote is, at the beginning of the year, a podium was amazing. Now, after four podiums, we obviously want more, at least a second place. But the red, bu- the two Red Bulls are always unbreakable and they are always super fast. But Maybe Monaco, maybe Barcelona, we have a possibility, end quote. So, you know, <laughs> that that that's that's about it. Um, he goes on a little bit uh, further to say, um, obviously, we want to step higher on the podium for P2. And eventually, one day when we have an opportunity to win a race, at the moment, it didn't happen because Red Bull is better than us. It's stronger, faster, and reliability has always been outstanding for them as well. Finishing both cars every race. If one day there is a crack, if there's an opportunity, we need to make sure that we are in a position and we're still not making any mistakes at any point in the weekend, end quote. You know, I, I don't think that there's anything uh, too uh, shocking or surprising what uh, Fernando's uh, saying there, but it, it's it's good to, to see that despite being 41, not that uh, that age has to do anything with it, but the fact that he's been in Formula 1 for over you know, pretty much two decades now that, uh, that, that the hunger and the thirst is, uh, is still there. And the thing is that I, I feel that, you know, the, the, the emotion and, and what's going on with Fernando is, is, is genuine. There, there seems like, you know, he's genuinely happy. Whereas I felt like over the past several years at time, you know, you know, he he didn't pull the Marshawn Lynch and just say that, you know, I'm only here so I don't get fined. <laughs> but that kind of was like his attitude because, you know, he was very businesslike and just kind of like cut and dry in the answers. But it seems like, you know, he's got a bit of a twinkle in his eye. He's got some emotion in his voice. You know, he seems happy to be there. And, and that didn't always seem to be the case, especially some of the dark McLaren years, five, six years ago. And and uh, at times last year as well, because I mean, how many times did that Alpine car let him down last year with with, with a mechanical issue? But but this year, you know, he he certainly seems happy to to, to be here, and I think uh, it, it's good to see. 
All right, uh, moving along. So the next uh, story comes from uh, RacingNews365.com from uh, Jake Nichols. So Pirelli are going to introduce a new spec of tires at the British Grand Prix this year. Uh, so this is a little bit uh, surprising. And, uh, you know, it, it's funny because we were talking about, what, was was it Michelin or Bridgestone? It was Michelin that where maybe people were, where they were looking at uh, a couple of weeks ago, right? That was the story. But they were just like, they couldn't really wrap their head around the fact that that the Formula One wants them to design a tire that like purposely degrades and falls apart over the co- you know the course of a race where that's kind of like completely counter to what their their DNA is uh, to make a tire that's built better that lasts longer but Formula One literally wants a tire that falls apart on itself um, anyways uh, so Pirelli um, they well they, they sat down and they they talked to Racing News at 365 and this is uh, you know really really uh, introduce or you know very very interesting that they're going to introduce this new spec of tire but mark what is it exactly that they're trying to do yeah so this is a really interesting story and to provide a little bit of kind of background on this one formula one teams tend to provide their projections for car performance to pirelli and pirelli will tailor the forthcoming compound of tires in a way that reflects the loads that will be placed on them by the car. So as years progress um, within certain formulas of the aerodynamic and the engine and the engine formula of these cars, performance increases, increases, increases. So what the teams do is they feed all of that data to Pirelli and Pirelli engineers tires that are specifically designed to withstand the loads that the cars provide. Uh, what has happened this year is that the loads on the tires have been significantly greater than Pirelli anticipated. So the teams on average have made significantly more increases in terms of performance than anyone had been expected. Um, As an example, in this Racing News 365 article, they speak to the fact that the pole position in Miami this year at 126.841 was nearly two seconds greater than 2022. So what it looks like Pirelli is going to do is introduce the tire spec that was going to be planned for 2024 earlier than anticipated. So they're saying, look, there's no there's no safety issue with the current specification of tires, but with that, we're going to effectively introduce the 24 spec tire earlier, and we'll see that as soon as Silverstone. But really, the the genesis for this change is just the fact that the development of these cars is progressing much faster than I think anyone, including Pirelli, had anticipated. Yeah, you know that's uh, you know really really interesting that uh, that they've decided to to move it up. But I, I mean, it you know with with the times or that just that much quicker. It's uh, really uh, quite uh, amazing. Mark, I was looking at the next story here that we have in in the outline, but when I click on the link, I'm not getting the story that uh, that that we wanted. And the story that you have here says. Horner, Red Bull rivals have underdelivered, and it links to a story. It says Total Wolf injured in cycling accident, and this goes to an article that was written by SpeedCafe.com, the twenty fourth of July, twenty fourteen. Anyways, <laughs> what, so, I, so I don't congrat- remember this. Congratulations, I, Mark, yeah. for the quality work that you put into producing today's podcast outline. Uh, for some reason, my link does work, and it's an article from Ian Parks. At Speed Cafe, but and can't essence, I read this this little bit of F one no, history? Because I don't no, really remember no, this. No, but it feels like everyone at F one has a cycling accident. At I what know. point are the team <laughs> principals themselves going to prohibit their drivers?
dangerous from cycling on public roads, as we saw with Lance Stroll a couple of months ago. So in this case, it's basically an acknowledgement from Christian Horner. And it's a fairly gracious acknowledgement, but it's an acknowledgement nonetheless that the rest of the teams in Formula One haven't developed their cars despite the fact that I just said they have been, but certainly not at the pace necessary to keep up with the Red Bull team. Says says Christian Horner, uh, 2023, obviously, has been the best start that we've ever had, and we feel we've made a good step from the RB18 into the 19. It's the kind of step you would expect. So I think it's more that I feels like the others have lost ground. I'm sure they're working hard to address that big gains that would come quite quickly. He continues on, it surprised us that others have perhaps under-delivered compared to where they were last year, but no doubt they will be looking to address that. I'm sure starting at the next race, which is Imola, uh, we're going to see big updates starting to come through. Now, he says, and I'm just going to read here a quote from Total Wolf, um, until mathematically when things are done, which is still a long way away, he said, we've got a great car, great team, two great drivers, but there's still a long way to go. Let's reserve judgment until after we see what they, Mercedes and Ferrari, turn up with at Imola and Barcelona. Sorry, that was a continued quote from Christian Horner. So really, it's it's kind of this unique acknowledgement from Christian Horner that they were likely expecting to see more competitive entries from Ferrari and Mercedes in particular going into the season. And I think we keep talking about this massive delta between Red Bull and the rest of the field. But I don't think, based on things I'm hearing from Milton Keynes, I don't think that Red Bull anticipated that this season was going to be such a slam dunk, that they expected significant progress to be made from Mercedes and from Ferrari. And certainly their 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 track-to-track Average speeds have increased versus 2022, but certainly not at the rate that Red Bull have delivered their improvements. So, so again, like you and I've said so many times before, if not for Aston Martin, the season could have been a real disappointment. Yeah, but you know, I I, I think it's uh, I, I think it's a little bit refreshing to hear those uh, comments from from Christian Horner acknowledging that you know, part of their success is due in part uh, to the fact that uh, that the the teams that should be challenging them just uh, aren't quite uh, there. But if you look at like the 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 next story that we have teed up here, you know, Toto is called the W fourteen, the Mercedes W fourteen that is poisonous. So I mean, it's clearly not a car. We thought it couldn't get yeah. worse than the W thirteen, and. I- no, right? It has gotten worse. And Toto says here, I'm going to jump ahead because we are all expecting, and this isn't a quote, but we are all expecting not insignificant upgrades at Imola, which they've been teasing for weeks and months. But Toto says, we need to manage our own expectations because we're bringing an update package that's going to going to consist of new suspension parts, bodywork, and some other things. But I have never in my 15 years in F1 seen a silver bullet being introduced where suddenly you unlock half a second of performance. So I very much doubt that's what's going to happen here. But he added, what I'm looking forward to is that we take certain variables off the table where we believe we could have introduced something that we don't understand in the car. I'm hoping we can go to a more stable platform and then we should see where the baseline is and what we can do from there. He says, uh, The upgrade will be a large surgery on what he calls a poisonous car. And then finally, he concludes, I think we're chasing downforce and we're trying to do the best possible jobs in terms of mechanical platform. What we're doing is we're introducing a new bodywork, we're introducing a new floor, and we're doing a new front suspension that's pretty large. That's a pretty large operation, large surgery. It's going to be a lot of learning in the virtual world where it is a good lap time. That's why the upgrade that we're bringing is going to help us to set the direction and to understand the various areas that we believe could play a role in why the car is so poisonous so poisonous to drive 
Those are some remarkable <laughs> statements, but it's also quite revealing yeah. because I don't think any of us expected quite such a huge upgrade. We're talking about a front suspension, which is a significant engineering effort to design and to deploy a new floor. And of course, the floors are what are directly responsible for creating the downforce that's being created via the underside of the car. Um, and also, he hints at some new aerodynamics. And one of the things that's being hinted at in the German, the Italian press is we could have seen the very last of the zero pod design that part of the Imola upgrade might be Mercedes going towards the more Red Bull centric side pod design. So we could see a very, and now whether it translates into performance on the track, and I'm sure it will take some time for the drivers to get used to the car, but we could see a functionally very different Mercedes and Imola than we saw this past weekend in Miami. Yeah, it's interesting, right? I mean, it goes back to that um, that age-old observation about Formula One that if a team comes up with, with a concept and it works, the other teams tend to copy it and develop it on, on, on their own. But this zero side pod design that they came up with the W13 last year, nobody has gone that uh, that that route and and nobody's you know last year and nobody else uh, decided to do it for this year like I could understand if they came up with a radical uh, you know design last year because it was the new you know the the introduction of the new cars the new regs and everything they could have surprised everyone by doing so but if this was a concept that w- would have worked everybody else would have been looking at it at least or, or jumped on it as well that hey they've really come up with, with something that we need to take a look at and uh, and we need to do as well i mean and and this is you know taking into account that this is the team that's been leading the way for nearly a decade and the fact that they came out with this revolutionary concept that nobody wanted to touch i think really just kind of like underlines uh, the, the the fact that it hasn't worked out the way that it was you know quite honestly i i'm surprised that they've stuck with it for as long as that they as they have i mean well i was very very surprised that they 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 brought it back for this year as well daily there was that revelation a couple of weeks ago that was that breakthrough that that kind of phantom breakthrough that mercedes had in brazil last year where russell won the sprint and russell won the grand prix that's when they decided to double down on the zero pod design because they thought ah we're there, like we're making progress. There is something to this aerodynamic design that we've generated. And the worst thing that happened that weekend in Brazil was the fact that they won because if they hadn't won, they probably would have scrapped it, had the whole winter to design something else, but they made the decision to double down, carry it over into 23. And here we are in May. And now they're Hmm. finally scrapping it when they probably should have done so six to eight months ago. You know, that that seems a bit uh, strange almost when it comes to a team like uh, Mercedes that they would double down on that, uh, the, the, the results of that weekend when it was pretty much an outlier for the season, wasn't it? I mean, I know it was a great, it was a great weekend. I don't want to take anything away from Mercedes or George, but I mean, it, it seems a bit odd that you would kind of throw everything behind the results of one weekend that wasn't really indicative of the rest of your your year but hey what, what do i know uh, anyways uh moving along so this is another great uh, quote so according to uh, christian horner that uh, the other f1 teams accepting a new 11th team on the grid is quote like turkeys voted for christmas end quote uh, and that's uh, you know if uh, you're not familiar with that that's you know turkey is the traditional christmas dinner so obviously oh, turkeys are not uh, very uh you know eager to to have christmas because a lot of them end up dying to end up on our dinner plates anyways oh, that's why a bit are you of a, being so morbid <laughs> well he's the one that said it man i mean Dude, he's, you he's don't, drawing you that you don't that, even that, have turkey at your christmas 
We we do actually. Oh, I thought we talked about this. So I know we both do turkey for Thanksgiving, but I didn't yeah. think I thought you did something alternative for Christmas dinner. It de- it depends. Like it, okay. it's sort of like an alternates. Like some year because oh, like okay. it's just like we you know we've had a lot of turkey over the years. Like you say, we tend to do one at Thanksgiving. So we don't always default to turkey for Christmas dinner. Sometimes we do, and sometimes we switch it up and do something a, a little bit uh, different. So it hasn't been completely removed. Let's just say that the turkeys are liking us a little bit more because we're not, you know, eating them for Christmas. <laughs> Unlike so I Christian suppose, Horner, I suppose what Christian Horner means here is that if given the choice about adding yeah. a new team, the current teams would shoot it down. That they and we know much. that, right? Yeah. Like they, they yeah. are not interested in this. And I think there's a really interesting article or interesting quote here from Total Wolf within this article. And he says, first of all, we have no say in this, which it might be functionally, practically true, but I think they ha- have a significant amount of influence over liberty. First of all, we have no one say in this. Uh, if we're being asked, our opinion is being asked, but we're not part of the process of choosing a team or not. The opinion that we have expressed is that it's very difficult in Formula One to perform. It has taken us many years to be where we are. We've gone through really difficult times where F1 wasn't the blockbuster it is today, and therefore whoever enters the sport, I think it would be beneficial for all of us if they can really bring something new to the show. Uh, he continues, if it can help us to increase our audience or if there's lots of marketing dollars that are being invested, similar to what we have done over the years, Red Bull and Mercedes sitting here, I mean, hundreds of millions. And if that were the case, I think we would need to be open-minded and say, how can we contribute to making this happen? But again, we're not part of the governance. So I would say very much hope that we, if we find somebody, if we decided to go for another team, that somebody can really leverage what we have today and make it even greater. So pretty consistent with, I think, what he said from the very beginning, which is if there's an F1 team, they better deliver value that's truly incremental to the sport and that they don't ultimately just don't ultimately just come in and suck away profits that would have otherwise gone to other teams from the existing profit pie. Yeah, exactly. Um, you, you can see why that, uh, you know, the, the teams themselves will, of course, be, uh, you know, very reluctant to let anyone else in and, and, and give up even a penny out of their earnings. So daily, it I, just, I, yeah, it just kind of occurred to me that this is kind of like you've been sitting here doing this podcast since 2016. And when you started, yes. there were probably less than 10 English language F1 podcasts in the world. Mm-hmm. And we could probably name all of them um, right here. We won't, but we could. Now we sit here and every single day, and again, we don't get upset about this. We wish everyone well and that they're successful and there's enough pie for everybody. But every single day, it feels like there's a new F1 podcast. And sometimes you and I are WhatsApp group, we're just like, come on now, come on. So we're kind of like those existing F1 teams True. That, that, feel, that feel some kind of way about new F1 podcasts. Well, then there you go. I mean, I don't mind if there's new ones coming out as long as they throw something into the anti-dilution yeah. fund that yeah, the rest exactly. of us get, then, uh, you know, show me the money and uh, everything's good. So I'm going to call Spanners over at Missed Apex, and we are going to come to a consensus. All the OGF1 podcasts from 2017 or earlier, we are yep. owed an anti-dilution fee from every new F1 podcast. And we have to we have to have them come to us with a business case. What value are you going to add to the <laughs> F1 podcast ecosystem before they can join? Yeah, but what, dude, what if they turn that around and be like, well, what value do you bring to the F1 ecosystem? So I cannot yeah. build that business case. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So why don't we just uh, take one final quick break here? We've got a couple more stories that we're going to jump into the mailbag. Got uh, some fun things uh, to talk about. So we will do that in a moment. So don't go away. We will be right back. 
All right, welcome back. And who would have thought five races into the season that not only would we be talking about potentially somebody uh, replacing Otmar Safnauer over at Alpine, but the talk about somebody replacing Nick DeFries at uh, Alpha Tauri has actually become a thing. Now, apparently that's not going to be Danny Ricardo, who didn't get a drive uh, with uh, McLaren this year, and then found himself back at Red Bull as a reserve driver. And there was some talk of Checo didn't deliver this year that uh, perhaps Ricardo could find himself back in a Red Bull at, uh, at some point, most likely uh, next year. I mean, Checo has uh, done a pretty, pretty good job, I would say, the first uh, almost half dozen races of the year. So I think that uh, discussion has pretty much uh, sorted itself out, according to Sergio Perez at any rate. And I don't think that anybody would uh, dispute the fact that uh, that uh, Sergio isn't uh, delivering at the moment and needs to be replaced by Danny Ricardo or anyone else. But uh, elsewhere in the Red Bull family, things aren't quite going so good. When you look at uh, Nick DeFries, who's uh, in his first year driving for Alpha Tauri, his rookie F1 season. And this is a guy that's been around and successful in other uh, racing series, and he hasn't had a great start to the year. But anyways... Um Apparently, you know, that that conversation has started that uh, perhaps uh, DeFries might not see the season out. And, um, well, <laughs> it's, it's interesting. I mean, like a little bit, um, there's a little bit of smoke with this fire, if there's even a fire, because there were multiple reports going around uh, this week that uh, Ricardo had visited AlphaTauri's headquarters in Fenza, Italy for seat fitting. And um, that, that sort of linked to the other rumor that uh, Red Bull Supremo Helmut Marco has given DeFries an ultimatum to get things together uh, by the, the, the Spanish Grand Prix, which is only just a couple of races away uh, to improve things or, you know, there's going to be, you know, moves are going to be made. I mean, on the surface, I mean, you know, th- this could happen because we've seen these moves happen before within, you know, the, the Red Bull organization within those uh, two teams. So, I mean, there, there's a lot of precedent there. Whether or not uh, they, they they do that it remains to be seen. But undoubtedly, undeniably, DeFries has had a, a shocker to start the season. I mean, he just hasn't looked comfortable. He hasn't looked good in the car. And, you know, the, the performance haven't been there. And I mean, th- th- this is a guy that, uh, that, that scored points last year at uh, at Monza when he was filling in for Alex Albon after you know he had to miss a, a race after he had that that whole issue with his appendix and all the you know the you know unintended and unexpected complications that uh, that that he had so it's not like he's not used to extracting things from a bad car it's just um, and I'm not saying that the Alpha Tower is a bad car I mean the Williams wasn't the greatest car last year but still he got some points out of it at uh, at Monza but just it's not going good for him at Alpha Terry Hammy. Definitely not. And you made a really great point that there is precedence within the Red Bull family for a mid-season driver swap that they will do that. And they've done that with drivers that they've invested many years in through their driver academy, that they're willing to pull the plug and, and swap them out. And in this case, when you talk about Nick DeVries, it's a low-risk move. You've invested nothing in him. He wasn't part of your academy. There's there's no emotional investment there. There's no financial investment beyond paying out the balance of his contract for this season that you could make that swap. And certainly the fact that you have Daniel Ricardo, who's a member of this organization sitting on the sideline that could slot in very quickly must be 
must be something that's being considered by the highest levels of Red Bull, whether it be Christian Horner or whether it be whether it be Helmut Marco. And I just I think it's natural that they they have these conversations now. Of course, F1 Twitter and F1 Reddit exploded over the course of this week because of the news that Daniel Ricciardo was there for a seat fitting, which makes total sense because as a reserve driver, as a test driver, you need to have him equipped to potentially suit up and fill in for Yuki or Nick if one of them was to get sick or if they were to get COVID during the balance of this this championship. But but ultimately, this just logically makes sense that if you're not satisfied with his performance, why would you continue to go there if you have this low-risk move of, of terminating that contract and moving down? Daniel Ricardo into into that seat that it just logically makes sense and you know I, I think recently there were some comments from Helmut Marco where he spoke to the fact that look you know what young drivers need three years in an F1 card it's ironic in a sense because this isn't a team that's ever been patient with any of their young drivers but they have been <laughs> very patient with Yuki but Yuki was also a member of their driver academy and is much much younger I think when you talk about Nick DeVries he's not a 21 year old rookie that has a season of F3 and a season of F2 under his belt. He's 28. He's on the wrong side of 25. He's raced in Formula E for multiple seasons. He's been in a Formula E championship. He won an F2 championship. And if he were here midway through the 2023 Formula One championship and he's continuing to perform like he is and continuing to be outperformed by Yuki, why would you continue to invest in him? If you don't anticipate some immediate improvement, why would you yep. allow him to continue to drive for you for the rest of the season if he's not a logical choice to bring back next year? Why not make that swap? now it's low risk and if not daniel ricardo like we said a couple of weeks ago red bull has other young drivers that could potentially slot into that seat um with very very little friction yeah great point and according to uh nate saunders over to espn.com it would likely be uh, red bull junior driver liam lawson who's currently racing in super formula he would be the one that would uh, slide in and uh, replace uh, defries if uh, things uh, continue to go uh badly for him but it's interesting too i'd love to know where where nate uh, got this information from and of course he probably never divulge his sources but he, he does end up uh, the article here saying that uh, that ricardo's contract for uh with red bull is solely at a reserve capacity i'm quoting this uh, directly with additional market uh, marketing obligations so that, that that's interesting because uh, we we've complained about this uh, for year that uh, that formula one contracts never see the light of day when, when it comes to like money and term and everything else so i i'd, I'd love to know where nate uh, got this uh, juicy little uh, nugget uh, but apparently he goes on to say that uh, that red bull drivers do kind of have this this two-way clause in their contract that uh, they can be moved uh, between uh, th- those two teams which we, we've seen with with max verstappen and danny Kvyat, Alex Albon, Pierre Gasly, they've, you know, Max moved the right direction. Those other drivers kind of moved uh, back and forth uh, between the two teams. So, I mean, the uh, the, the, the mechan- uh, mechanism is there, but apparently Ricardo's, um, you know, reserve driver contract doesn't have that, uh, that, that same little bit uh, in place. Okay, we just want to finish up here before we dive into the mailbag with a couple of things. So, uh, Hyundai is uh, going to introduce a retro-styled uh, Vision and Vision 74 concept uh, which looks amazing do you want to talk about this oh one, my gosh this looks really I, do, cool do i ever do i ever so i i'm gonna tweet this out and we don't talk a lot about production road cars but this is something that's really exciting so last year hyundai revealed a concept car a hyundai envision 74 like you said um in a 
incredibly cool looking retro car that is based on a 1970s Italian styled and designed pony concept. It It's kind of like a hybrid between something that you would see in a 90s anime and a DeLorean. Very, very, very cool concept. Now, the concept car itself had a, I'm just trying to pull up the specific the specific uh, explanation, but the hybrid or the the concept car had a 680 horsepower hydrogen hybrid electric. Yeah, here it is. The concept landed with a 670 horsepower hydrogen uh, hydrogen electric hybrid system. So the the concept car itself was received so well that Hyundai has decided to put it into production, um, and there's expected to be a formal announcement soon with some timelines and availability and pricing. It'll also be very interesting to know what type of powertrain it's ultimately going to have. But it's just something I got super excited about. And I think people will get excited about it when it sees it. Very, very cool. We don't know what the powertrain is going to be, the pricing availability, but it's very, very cool that Hyundai could, could surface this concept, accept that it was incredibly well received and ultimately decide to put it into production. But uh, a very, very, very cool car and a very cool turn nonetheless. Now, my friend, I'm going to ask you mm-hmm. for the next story okay. here. There is a trailer out now for a movie that's going to release this August called Gran Turismo that is based on the video game itself and is partially a true story. But the movie Gran Turismo is going to be based in a world where Gran Turismo is a massive, massively popular game. And those that are successful at the game are afforded the opportunity to become real world racing car drivers. Now, I have seen the trailer. I've been vaguely aware that this has been in production for some time. It has some big names attached to it. But as with the Brad Pitt um, story that's coming up soon, that Brad Pitt Formula One movie Apex, this looks very, very, very cool. And I certainly don't need any excuses to see it in theaters. My friend, have you had a chance? And it's okay if you haven't, but have you had a chance to see the trailer? No, I haven't. But I, I should uh, should say that uh, Gran Turismo is like one of my favorite games ever. You know, I've been, you know, I had, I can't remember the first time I played it, but it's just, you know, I, I found it just such an immersive, cool, fun game. So I'm actually kind of like excited that this is actually going to become a thing. I don't know. Is, is this going to be in theaters? Is this going to be a yeah, streaming it's, thing? It's going to have it? a big theatrical run, which okay. is super, super excited. So I'm just going to read here from this article in Engadget. Um, quote, unquote, according to the trailer, this is not your standard video game adaption. It doesn't seek to adapt the story of Gran Turismo, but is rather set in a world obsessed with the racing sim. There's a tournament to find the best virtual racer out there and the winners get to race in real life. Even weirder, this is all based on a true story. The film follows current professional racer Jan Mardenborough, who actually was a teenage Gran Turismo obsessive. He really did win competitions and even managed to parlay that into an actual career. Uh, This might be an odd choice for a video game movie plot, but it's not as if the Gran Turismo series has a deep well of lore to pull from. The film is directed by Neil Blomkamp, who made District 9 and Elysium, so this is at least worth keeping your eye on. In any event, August is just around the corner, so you don't have to wait long. So if you are a car fan, if you're a racing nut, just something else to look forward to this summer. Yeah, that's kind of cool. Uh, I'm definitely going to go uh, check that one out. And if you want to watch uh, car movies and you want to try and make a little bit of money off of that, you could actually, um, you know, reportedly win $1,000 or be awarded $1,000 if you watch all the uh, Fast and Furious movies and uh, report back on the carnage. (laughs) 
<laughs> and this is, uh, you know, uh, th- th- this is being uh, put up by Finance Buzz, and they want to make uh, movies uh, a-, a lucrative endeavor. But that seems like a lot to kind of crunch through here. But you know, I- I'm looking at the-, the 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 picture that's attached to this. I'm not sure where this one specifically was filmed, but that kind of looks like the SkyTrain in the background. I don't yeah, know doesn't it? whether doesn't it, is, it is or not. It kind of looks like the SkyTrain glideway here that we see in, in Vancouver. So it kind of makes me wonder if that was filmed somewhere for, where locally, but you know, I, I could very much use a thousand dollars in cash. I just kind of think that there would probably be so a it's, slightly it's a catch, less right? painful like, way to, yeah, this yeah, is of course there's a, a publicity catch. stunt. So ultimately sure. what you're going to be expected to do, and you're going to be paid a thousand bucks, which works out to about $50 an hour, but you are expected to sit through all, how many Fast and Furious movies are there now? 10, 10 15, 30, 10. who knows? But you're expected <laughs> to sit through them and record all of the damage caused to all of the cars to prepare for an upcoming story on insurance rates. And I'm reading here from autoblog.com. Finance Buzz also wants to track if the number and dollar amount of the wrecked cars increased or decreased through the films. The lucky at least 18-year-old couch potato will get $1,000 for their service and an additional $100 for snacks and movie tickets. So on the one hand, $1,000 to watch the Fast and Furious movies, that's a pretty good deal. But to sit there and document the damage and the type of damage and the nature of damage and how the damage was caused to every single car through every single film seems like quite a chore and not something I'd be willing to sign up for. Yeah, yeah, that that's that's a hard no for me as well. Like I said, <laughs> I think there's there's easier ways to earn a thousand dollars. Okay, cool. Well, that's the end of the the, the news stories. Let's uh, jump into the mailbags here, or the mailbag uh, that is. First one comes from Juan Solo. Hey guys, great job on the recent pods. I've got some thoughts. If that's okay, new followers Gen DTS were given a truncated season twenty twenty that made it appear closer than it was. Still over one hundred thirty points between Hamilton and Verstappen. Uh, then twenty twenty one season for the ages no matter how it ended now we're back to the status quo one team dominating everyone's starting to catch slash keep up uh, new fans are complaining about the races and season being boring f1 is at risk of losing a lot of new fans some simplish solutions number one work with pirelli on tire selection to t- make uh, borderline two-stop races more strategy is fun uh, the second one is increase the number of points paying positions. It's easy to adjust the points more for the current paying positions down to, uh, to one point for 12th or 25th, especially when the, the new teams are joining. This can also happen to the sprints if they're adamant about keeping them. The risk reward ratio isn't high enough, especially with the cost cap. Why risk fighting for 12th if you don't get anything for it? Three, no three, four week breaks except the summer break. While I understand the need for downtime, surely a solution with the cost cap could be found. Perhaps a cutout for extra mechanics engineers to alleviate overwork. Any other ideas? I'd love to hear them on the podcast. I really do think it's a concern that F1 needs to address. I know it's allegorical, but a lot of people I know who started watching during DT or started watching uh, DTS slash F1 during COVID lockdown and enjoyed almost every second of 2021 and haven't watched a race in Saudi this year. So there you go. Thank you very much for, for that one, Juan. So the the first one that's uh, the easy one there the uh, was the last slash, um, you know uh, a point here was uh, no three four week breaks 
besides the summer break. And I think that th- that this one was just unfortunate because we had Shanghai, uh, you know, originally scheduled, and then that got uh, dropped. And you know, so we, we basically sat at home for the entire month of April without without a race uh, to watch. And I don't think we'll we'll see a uh, repeat of that uh, anytime soon. It's just. Um, it's it's unfortunate and it's a little bit strange considering over the last couple of years. I mean, races seem to get canceled left, right, and center during, especially during peak COVID, and seemed like people were lining up to offer their their facilities to to, to fill the gap. So I'm surprised that there there wasn't an option, but I guess maybe there were options, but maybe nothing that uh, that 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 made sense. But you would think that even if uh, we waited after, I guess it would have been Australia and before Baku, that still would have given them two weeks to. To maybe go to a Mugello or a, a Portimao or wherever it uh, might have been, but uh, for whatever reason, they just didn't think it was going to work out. Now, the other ones, uh, Mark, be interested to, to hear your thoughts on exp- increasing the point paying positions. I mean, wasn't it back in the day when we were kids that they only gave points like down to sixth place? I don't even Something think it was, was when we were kids. I think it was. Probably more recent. Is it more than recent that. than that? Yeah, I, I actually yeah, really I'd like to check. some of Juan Solo's comments here. So the first one I, I kind of want to comment on was just work with Pirelli on tire selection to make more borderline two-stop racings, more strategy is fun. That's an interesting yeah. point, right? Like we, yeah. we talk so much about the fact that you even mentioned it earlier that Pirelli engineers a tire that's designed to drop off a cliff because they want to necessitate this artificial one-stop rule, right? Which is, hey, everyone has to stop. You have to rock two compounds. Makes a great point. What if you just amended the rules or or introduce new rules, which require two stops. And of course, we don't have refueling, which used to be fun, although incredibly dangerous. But yeah, what if you amended the rules to require two stops? It introduces more risk of something going wrong. It introduces more drama, and it introduces a host of new of new strategy conversations. So I think that's that's really really cool. I do agree a hundred percent on the breaks that having a four week break, even even aside from the summer break, is a miss. And I think his comment here was like like you said, this year was an abbreviate or an aberration because we were supposed to be in Shanghai. It didn't happen. We're going to be back in Shanghai next year. That's going to happen. That's good news. I think the summer break, though, is a good point. And I think his comment here is like, look, could Formula One, with all of their infinite resources, not do some things to spare the mechanics and the traveling parties the burden of going to all these races? That, you know what, having a one-month summer break when there's a ton of eyeballs that could be watching your sport, like, that's not a good thing. Like, look at the Premier League. Like, the Premier League and European football leagues are only just starting to wind up when the summer break happens. Over here in North America... The Mm -hmm. NFL's off, the NBA's off, the NHL's off, and you're in the dog days of summer. Like That's exactly the opportunity, the time when you should be putting on races and trying to capture as many eyeballs as possible. So I totally agree that do we need a one-month summer break, especially in a world where we might have 23, 24, 25, 30 races? I think- you know, we'll probably get to a point as the calendar expands that the calendar is going to get longer. And I think that summer break might be a thing of the past. And to Juan Solo's point, it'll probably be enabled by revolving or rotating through the crews that drive or kind of fly out to these individual races. So I, I really like his points here. And in terms of other things, I think I would probably have to think about that a little bit more. Um, one thing one of my good friends, Dead Randy, said, Dead Randy from Twitter, said that made a lot of sense to me is that now that we have a cost cap and the team's going to spend the 130 or 134 million dollars a year to develop their cars, why do the technical regulations need to be so tight? 
Like, why do you need to have ultra tight regulations and an ultra low budget? If you're going to have an ultra low cost cap, just blow up the regulations, let the cars, let the teams do whatever they want. Now, there's obviously significant, significant risk in doing that is is that you might have some wild disparities on on the grid, which I think the technical regulations are designed to prevent. But I would say I would be open to uh, broadening the technical regulations to allow for for more concepts and more designs and more ideas. I think that would be very, very cool. But great questions, and thanks yep. for the email. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the next one comes from uh, Jason, uh, and the message is, can we all agree now that Toto's tantrums last season that led to rule changes to avoid porpoising that uh, by all accounts, most team had rectified by the break, has effectively undone the 2022 rules that made it easier for cars to follow. And thus, now we're back to pre-2022 racing. Yeah, I, 100%. I, I think that's a really good observation. I, I would agree with that. Mark, what do you think? Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I, I'm not going to, I think Jason's trying to trigger me with the comment about Toto's tantrums because I tended to play that down a little bit last year, but certainly Toto was very, very vocal as I think were other members of his team about the damage that was being done to his drivers by the porpoising, which of course only existed because of their inability to engineer it out. But I think his, his comment here is pretty valid. And I think some of the analysis and some of the data is showing that the net benefits that were introduced by having the ground effects and the car sitting so close to the car, the ground have been negated because when you lift those cars, the ground effect is less effective. And now ultimately, potentially we're in a position where really we're kind of back where we were in 2021, where Hull following is very difficult. There's a lot of dirty air, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that ultimately the genesis of the fact that we've reverted to kind of this 2021 state is because you had some very vocal, um, high profile people in the sport tantruming, actually not tantruming, petitioning for, for changes <laughs> to the regulation. Of course, we had TD39 last year, and then the 2023 regulation saw some changes to the floor and the ride height, which unfortunately seemed to negate some of the benefits that were intended by kind of going back to ground effect-based cars anyways. Yeah. You know, Toto's Tantrum seems like a, a great name for a podcast or at least like a parody, like Twitter account or something. I mean, not that there's a lot of them, at least maybe, maybe I'd what have is to the, double What is the check, WhatsApp but... group that we're in? We're in one that's similar to that. Oh, Toto's Tyrants. Toto's Tyrants. That, Toto's Tyrants. Tyrants. Yeah. That's a WhatsApp chat yeah. we're in. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. But I kind of like Toto's Tantrums, even though, you know, that, that might be a little bit more applicable to uh, Christian Horny. But I don't know, is he tantrum-y or is he just kind of like critical or whiny? Like, what, what's, yeah, what's the little, best word to? A little bit of all of it, maybe. A little, little bit of all little, of it. Yeah. Yeah, I guess they all are to a to a certain uh, extent. Okay, cool. Last one uh, comes from uh, Gabriel Tremblay. Mark, why don't you read this? Because I recognize a lot of the words, but it's motorcycle stuff. So even though it looks like it's English, Thanks, it doesn't really mean anything Thanks, to buddy. me. So, so this you know, is I'm, I'm doing you a solid because you can segue nicely into MotoGP Corner afterwards because we're an hour and 30 into this, buddy. You're not getting any intro music because everybody's tired. Everybody wants to go home. Or if they're at home, they want to go to bed or do something else. The production qualities so. of the show continue to get worse. So, <laughs> Gabrielle, thank you so much for we're, the email. We're the Alpine of podcasts. Oh, man. As time goes on, oh, we get man. worse. <laughs> Gabrielle writes, hey, Mark and Mark, I've been a listener to the show since I got back in touch with F1, and I have to say you are by far the best podcast of them. Thank you so much. The chemistry is great, and we hear that you love the sport and the show. But I have a question for your MotoGP segment. What do you think about the King of Baggers series? I know it's not MotoGP per se, but it's kind of what IndyCar is to F1, an American motorcycle racing series. I love the show and can't hate, can't wait to hear what your thoughts are on that. So full disclosure, um, 
I wasn't at all or even remotely aware of this series. So just being like fully transparent, fully, fully, fully honest with the audience. Now, it is a very, very, very cool concept. So it turns out that in the US, there are a couple of motorcycle racing series that are based around motorcycles that one wouldn't necessarily associate with racing. So the King of Bagger series are typically larger, more comfortable cruiser style bikes that actually have saddlebags on the back of them, hence the term Bagger series. Um, I had the opportunity to watch some of this racing spectacle on YouTube earlier today. It's a very, very cool concept. And the only thing I can kind of relate it to is that when we watch Formula One, we are watching highly aerodynamically efficient, premium open wheel racing cars. Like we are seeing the, the fastest racing cars in the world. And when we switch over to North America, we have the Indy series, which is a great open wheel racing series. It's certainly not at the level of F1 because they don't invest in the cars in the same way, but we also have NASCAR and NASCAR is a aero deficient series that is using far more standardized common commodity style parts. It's not nearly as advanced as Indy and it's not nearly as advanced as F1, but that doesn't mean it's a bad racing series and it doesn't mean it's not entertaining and it doesn't mean it's not engaging. And that was kind of the same takeaway that I had with the Bagger series and some of these American racing series that are based really around these cruiser style bikes um, that it's different than MotoGP, but it doesn't mean it's not engaging and it doesn't mean it's not fun and it doesn't mean that you don't see some some great racing out there. So Gabrielle, you've opened my eyes to an entirely new series of racing that I didn't even know existed. Now, as for MotoGP Corner today, this is just going to be a tease because guess what? Finally, tomorrow morning, I will be sitting down with a couple of really great friends of our show to finally record MotoGP 101. So we have been teasing this forever and ever and ever. And I'm excited that we're finally going to be sitting down with Ed Spencer and Maddie Patterson to talk about MotoGP. And it's going to be the show that we're probably going to drop this weekend because we don't have a race. So you and I don't have to sit down. Going to give you the weekend off, my friend. And I think you badly yes. need it. But if you're interested <laughs> in MotoGP, we are going to go back to the basics, introduce the championship, the teams, the riders, how the championship works, how the how the commercial side of the sport works. Of course, uh, in MotoGP, Dorna is the commercial rights holder and the FIM is the FIA equivalent. So we're going to talk a little bit about all of that. So it'll be a fun hour. And you know, I've been teasing this for a while. We've been doing the MotoGP quarter. Um, I'm really excited to get a couple of people that are true MotoGP subject matter experts on the show because it's much I love the sport. I'm not a subject matter expert and I've become somewhat detached from the series as, as the relevance of uh, Valentino Rossi withered in his last couple of years. And of course he's now retired, but I'm excited to do this podcast and you can expect that in your feed early next week. That's awesome. And that seems like a good place uh, to park it. Oh, I should say just uh, before we did uh, do that, I was looking at, uh, you know, Googling King of Baggers while you were talking about it. So that that is really, really neat. I'm going to go check that out myself. Uh, saw some of the photos of some of the different bikes. So it looks, uh, looks pretty, pretty cool. So thanks uh, to Gabrielle for uh, introducing us to that. Anyways, um, like I say, that's a good place to park it uh, for this week. Thank you uh, to one and all for uh, for listening to the show. If you want to get in touch, send us a tweet at ScooterF1Pod. And uh, by all means, uh, if you have a couple of minutes of time, head on over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you download and listen to your podcast. And uh, if you enjoy the show, please leave a five-star rating and review. It's the, the, the best and easiest way to help support us in what uh, we do here. 
and helps us uh, grow the show. And that is it uh, on behalf of myself and Mr. Mark Hamilton. Thank you for listening. Keep an eye out for the intro to MotoGP coming up uh, this weekend with Maddie Patterson, Mark Hamilton, and Ed Spencer. And uh, Mark and I will be back this time next week for the usual uh, weekly show. And then uh, the first of a triple header coming up in Formula One. So uh, lots of racing coming very, very soon. We'll get back into it uh, at that time. Until then, everyone, have a great weekend. And we'll talk to you again very soon. Bye for now.